Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Well, we finally got this guy back. (laughs) Our people got a hold of his people, and finally we worked it out after a couple of years, and he's back. Yeah, his big party bus is in the parking lot. (laughs) His crew is out there managing things, but we have him here in studio with us. Now, I have to be honest with you. Your name is so confusing to oh, me boy. because of the name thing, which you're getting, now you're going to have to tell us the story about the name thing. But we have Dan Thompson with us today, also known as Dan Mike. Good yeah. morning. You know, there was a point where I just didn't have very many friends in life and I, I had moved to West Michigan. And I don't know if you guys know this, but West Michigan is kind of hard to crack into right and all these people thought my name was mike and i just went with it you know i'm just <laughs> like that's fine call me whatever you want i need a friend right <laughs> uh till they found out it was it was dan and then it just they had to blend it together to just sort of commemorate like okay. that whole thing and so you you get a new you get a new name thus you so, became dan mike yeah i mean you had simon and peter i mean there's right paul yeah. the saw there's different Abraham. names yeah exactly and so I love this story. When you first came to Crossroads Bible Church, you were just, I don't know, a student, just somebody working in the city, young person, trying to make your way in the big city. You know, <laughs> you're from Houghton Lake, right? Yeah. Good memory. And and so you wore a name tag. You, you oh made boy. up your own name tag. Tell us about that. Okay. It's a mind hack, right? If you're having a hard time trying to be accepted in a community, just make a name to that looks like you work there. So there, I just <laughs> cut out the bulletin, uh, you know, the logo, wrote my name on it, and put it in a lanyard, and that looks pretty official, right? Whoa, and so at I that did point, not know that you went to the length of putting the logo in it. Yeah, it just it, you then start to be received as somebody who's safe, you know. No, I'm not trying to say, you know, anything bad here, but was the staff worried about you wearing? A name tag that had the church's logo. It was a perfect it. storm because the group that I am a part of would not notice that kind of thing. And so I, I slipped through the cracks and became welcomed as somebody who belonged there because I've manufactured that. But yeah. Yeah. And I'm still there. Okay. So, so here's now we're finally going to get to a years ago. proper, proper introduction. Yes. We have Dan Mike Thompson with us today. He's the teaching pastor at Crossroads Bible Church, and he's a dad, he's a dad of girls. Tell us about your little girls. I have two little girls. Penny uh, is three and a half, and Georgia is 18 months, and they're the sweetest little girls. And so, yeah, we just have a lot of fun. We live out on the river in Grand Rapids, and we have one chicken at this point. <laughs> Uh, not we didn't start with one, but we know we have one, and we have a couple of cats and a dog, and we have yeah. And but their that mom. chicken, that chicken's like laying gold right now, right? Pepper, because yes, eggs she are is. pricey. Yes, we have a lot of fun, and so the yeah. chicken's name is Pepper. Yeah. Oh wow, that's <laughs> sweet. Well, tell us your story. You know, I know you grew up in Houghton Lake, and your dad was is a pastor. Is, is and so. Mom. Yeah, growing up as a PK. Yeah, I mean, my dad is dad and mom are both in ministry in my hometown, and my grandfather was a state police officer, hmm. 
And my mom was a teacher at the school that I was at. So all the authority figures in my life were family. <laughs> and so it'll mess with you a little bit. You start to feel like there's nowhere I can go where I'm not like totally safe and protected and covered. And I think that may have some sort of long-term effect on me. Just <laughs> if you ever feel like I have sort of a laissez-faire personality, it's hard to, you know, to track that down. But I think I think I was just really blessed with a lot of godly people who mm. were just right there, right next to me, walking with me throughout my life in all these different areas. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, that's cool. So when, when, what did it look like for you? Cause we know, you know, we, uh, we aren't just grandfathered in to the family of God. What did it look for you, like for you to make a personal decision to follow Jesus? I, I had, you know, several situations throughout life where you had to sort of re up or figure that out, yeah. you know, being a person who is around all of the Christian community stuff throughout your life. But I think for me, I, in my late teens, really had to decide, like, I'm going to commit to doing certain practices and things on my own um, to just feel like it's not just going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's when you're growing up in the church, it is happening to you. You're yeah. dragged, you're put in there, like into that room, in that situation. But there is a point where you're like, this isn't going to happen to me. I have to um, show up and really start to just try and see what happens. And so for me, that started with prayer and really just burying my soul and becoming a person who is very comfortable trying to just sort of let God into uh, what I'm really feeling and thinking. Mm -hmm. And that actually started to create a basis of a really rich relationship mm -hmm. um, with the Lord. And so that and scripture. So prayer and scripture, I just became a thing that I really started to lean into. And we're kicking off a conversation about cruciformity. What even is that? Cruciformity is a term that was developed to re refer to buildings that were shaped in a cross, like in a cross pattern. So if you've ever seen like archaeology or um, architecture of like the medieval period, uh, there, there's these churches that were built in the shape of a cross. Yeah. But that has become a term in theology that people have just sort of used and adapted to refer to what happens when you allow the cross to sh to be a framework for how you think and act and live. Um, and I think it's a really important kind of word to sort of reference because if you don't have the cross as a part of your framework, let's say it's something in the past or, you know, just a side aspect of your theology, then what is shaping your framework? And when I just hear Jesus talking about picking up a cross and following him, it seems to be sort of implied that this is going to be a part of the process. Yeah. It could look like something else if, if we're not being shaped by the cross. And, and we are Jesus followers. What are some other things that might be shaping us? There's a lot of things that are always calling for our attention um, in a culture, cultural context like ours, power, uh, vanity, financial, economic stuff, uh, the things we see on our screens are often saying, look like me, mm. look, value the things I value, uh, go after this stuff. And this is going to start shaping your lifestyle, your habits, practices, your temperament at times. And if we are going to be serious disciples of Jesus, we should, I think, spend some time really evaluating 
what is shaping me and discipling me? Mm -hmm. What is making me look like it? And so the first thing that came to mind when you asked the question, Perry, was like, if my life was not being shaped by Jesus, what would shape my life? It would be me. It would be me. What I want, what I feel, what I think I would be like a, you know, walking, talking adult toddler just demanding everything yeah. be my way. Yeah, I think that we are made to be image-bearing people. Mm-hmm. And so you got to ask yourself, what is the image yeah. that I am being shaped into? And so what if I had to just lay out my life and say, what do I look like and what am I representing? Um, that can be a very important conversation. So we don't have a lot of time in this segment, but what has that, what's a snapshot into what, this looks like in your life becoming cross-shaped, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking becoming more of a servant. You know, yeah. I've heard someone say, we know this guy, Rod, who says you got to become the gospel, you know, yeah. not just receive the gospel, but become the gospel. So what, what's a snapshot of that? Well, it's a, it's about participating in that path of that, that when Christ said, follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. It's implying that you are able to choose a life and a habit of self-sacrificial love. This should be something that you're identified by. You have an opportunity all the time to be able to be a person that is in love, creating vulnerability in your life. And so while you're driving, you have an opportunity to, to forgive and to love every single day mm. um, and to lay down um, any, any um, conflict opportunity that you have with somebody and forgive them. I feel like that's such an excellent example because what is it about getting in a car that makes us feel like I am in my kingdom? Mm-hmm. I am the king of my kingdom. Get out of the way. I've got places to go and things yeah. to do. And you can be a part of accomplishing my goal or I can, you're you know, off with your me. head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's all about this morning, we're going to be talking all about what it looks like to take up the cross and follow Jesus and have a life that that is shaped by the cross of Jesus. And for me, it's like saying no to what I want. I want, I want, I want. No, it's what he wants. Before we can take on a cross-shaped life or live the way that God would want us to live, we need to know the way that Jesus lived. What did it look like in his life, right? When you say, you know, it's not doing exactly what he did, but there are ways that we take that into our own lives. Yeah, I think for me, I often just sort of reduced the cross in general. The most famous symbol in the history of the world when it comes to religions to just sort of a... To, to one aspect of it, which is atonement or, you know, mm. a debt cancellation or whatever. But I think that that is a true aspect of the cross and very important. But it's not the only thing, you know, that, that it's meant to, to do. It is a thing to represent the heart of God, uh, the, the self-sacrificial nature of the love of God. Um, that is the, the real grain of the universe that we can live into. This is his path, his way. And so... Um, sometimes it's just hard to know, like, what does it look like to be a person who's putting God on display? And this is a great way of, of thinking about that. When the, when the guys and the, and the women who follow Jesus, when they heard him say, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me, you know, what do you think they were thinking? I mean, they knew that 
what the cross was. It was a yeah. horrible, horrible, horrible yes. you know, execution of the Romans. So what? That must have just been mind blowing, staggering. You know, just make you yeah. fall back on your back, kind of yeah. a thing. When this they is going to be a very costly thing. This is going to yeah. be a public thing. This is going to be something that people can can see. That's going to be a part of your life. And I'll tell you what, the first group of Christians, and e there have been groups throughout the ages who have picked up on this call and have changed the world because of it. When people have seen Christians actually take up the cross and start making self-sacrificial decisions for people who are um, in need of mercy and forgiveness and love, it really messes with the world in a good way and shows who God is. Um, and I think and it's compelling. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I think it's just really compelling. Yeah. Yeah. And when we see, you know, like missionaries sell everything that they own and move to a distant land and the entire focus is just, you know, sharing the gospel with yeah. other people in their lives, we see, wow, that looks like a cruciform life. Right. But what does it look like for us in the daily in and out, you know, getting up, going to work, doing the thing, being in relationships. What does it look like on Tuesday at two o'clock? Yeah, there are things that we all experience on a daily basis that shape our thinking and interaction with one another that are justifiable, easily justifiable things. So when you're watching sports, there's a justifiable thing that goes on there where you say, I'm going to create an enemy out of the person who who is wearing a different jersey than me or, or, or who who's rooting for a different colored shirt than me or whatever. And to justify making them into an enemy or having some sort of like harsh word toward them or acting like we're in opposition to one another, that's prevalent. That kind of thinking is prevalent. And, and in a cross-shaped framework when you're watching sports you realize there is no enemy I, my mm -hmm. enemy is someone i love there's a person here that i can actually um, embrace and and so there's a lot of practical ways that you can work through this well this brings something up you know i'm a huge like ben our producer here i'm a huge michigan fan yeah and you know when they played in the national semifinals against tcu you know and i found myself just so invested in this game and I want Michigan to win, and that other team is the enemy. But I started thinking through that. You know, could I actually be? Could I actually be excited for and happy for TCU because they won? I didn't want to be, but to, to be able to celebrate that they played a great game and they executed really well in that game, and and instead of just kind of uh, you know just getting in this this attitude of of anger, could I actually step into celebrating for the for the winning team when my team lost? Well, you got to ask yourself: Is there something compelling about Christianity or not? Is there something that Christianity, that the power, the resurrection power that is poured out on people who pick up the cross? Is there something about that that's true now that affects even those little things? Mm -hmm. Or or are we just the same as everybody else and really are just left to just create um, boundaries and tribes and borders and, you know, kick people out of our lives? I think that there's mm -hmm. something that Christianity has to offer in all of these areas. Yeah. Yeah. I read a book by Sherry Harney. And I can't remember the name of the title of the book right now, but at least I can give her credit for it, right? But she had said in there that she was praying over um, 
her child's game and just, you know, early morning, Saturday morning, it's cold. They're out in the field and they're just like, oh, Lord, please help our team to do well. Please help, you know, there not to be any injuries, you know, this sort of thing. And all of a sudden it just like hit her like there's a whole nother team and there are parents on the other side praying the same, you know, praying that their kid wins. And she's praying that her kid wins. And she's like, what does it mean to shift our thinking from playing? praying for my team to praying that today would be just a beautiful display of athleticism on both sides. It's realizing that God has created a good world and his will is for human flourishing. And while we play together and, you know, enjoy different things that we've come up with, like sports together, we're, we're becoming a closer uh, group of people. And, becoming a big family together, which is what God wants for humanity to be a big, diverse group of people that shouldn't fit, but we fit, you know? And so, yeah. Cheering each other on. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, Mark eight thirty four. Jesus words, if anyone, anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Cruciformity is a word or a term that is just designed to talk about being shaped or formed by the cross or in the image of the cross. Living a life of laying my life down, loving as I've been loved. So this really starts in God himself. Yes. Yeah, I did uh, some work on and others have, I mean, that I've drawn from like scholar Michael Gorman or Tim Gombis talking about Philippians 2 six through 11, this really famous hymn, right, of Philippians. And it begins by talking about Jesus being in nature God, but emptying himself. And I was wondering, like, as I was thinking through this line, um, as others have, did Jesus do something out of his character when he went to the cross? Was it something that anyone's anticipated? Or was it something that, you know, when he did, everybody's like, well, that's not the way God acts. How is that something that is a part of his nature? Because he was in nature, God didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but emptied himself and became a, took on the form of a servant. Mm-hmm. And therefore God exalted him and gave him the name that is above all names saying, I want to be identified with that person that when you, the name above all names is Jesus for a reason. Mm-hmm. Every knee will bow and tongue confess that, that he is the one who put me perfectly on display. Right. And so. Yeah. That's interesting yeah. because, you know, Jesus came, he walked, he lived, he only said and did what the father wanted him to do. And yet we sometimes wrestle with, is Jesus different from God? Yeah. You know, instead of recognizing that Jesus is like, this is what God looks like. This is his yes. compassion on display. This is his power on display. Incarnation, right? That's mm-hmm. the word that we use. Jesus is a revelation of who God is. And I think that we, like you said, it's very easy to think Jesus did something out of the ordinary. He's not, you know, and that is, uh, I think, just a sketchy way of viewing God and mm-hmm. the unity that Jesus talks about all the time. I am putting God on display for you. This is who he is. And this is what our world needs is to know that this is what God looks like. Yeah. And you know, the humility of God too, if you go all the way back to Adam and Eve walking in the garden, God could be doing anything with himself and it delighted his heart to walk in the garden that he created with man and woman that he created. Like his his desire to be with us is an example of cruciformity 
and humility. Well, certainly they were created to put him on display in the world and they didn't. But if they had, or if one had, then that's why Jesus is referred to as the second man, right? That he's not, he is the last Adam and the second man, Paul says in Corinthians. And he put God on display as a human always was intended to do, mm-hmm. right? And so when 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 Pilate puts Jesus out in front of everybody and said, behold, the man, right? This is a very profound line where we then get to see, finally, this is the one, this is who humanity was always supposed to be. So mm-hmm. in, the, in, in the aspect of thinking about the world needs to know this, the world needs to know our identity as human beings is an identity of one that puts God on display in this way. Mm-hmm. And so the sooner we can get on that page, the more we'll be able to live into who we were always meant to be. With the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they weren't surprised by how Jesus lived out his life. But the world was surprised. Yes. And we're surprised yeah. that we have a God who bleeds. There's a song with a lyric, we have a God who bleeds. Yeah. And this is the true God. And he's always been this way. He's always been a God who bleeds. Yeah. Now, if the world hadn't fallen, we wouldn't have seen him bleed. We would have certainly seen him lay his life down in some way, shape, or form. But this is what the God who has existed from eternity looks like in a fallen world. He ends up being a God who bleeds. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the very yeah. image of God, the cruciform God, not just the cruciform Jesus, but the cruciform God is who, what I'm hearing you say, Dan, is who we are meant to emulate yes. and look like as we walk through our lives. But the thing that challenges me in this is I can honestly look at my life and there are like tiny little sneak peeks where if you zoom in really close, you might see something that looks like a cross, but you're also going to see stuff that doesn't look like Jesus all the time. Yeah. Well, what you guys are talking about is about patterns of this world where Paul constantly reminds us to not be conformed by patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. There's things we need to think and discern and say that this is, there is a difference between the pattern that the world sets up for us to live and the pattern that Christ puts on display. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul specifically says that if the world had would have known uh, the wisdom of God, they would have never have crucified him. They would, you know, they wouldn't, they didn't understand. It's not even on the menu, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. for you to to point that out, Perry, is really profound. There is an option. You can live in a pattern of this world that looks like from Adam all the way to, you know, to us now of a self-preserving, self-focused uh, standpoint, or we are invited into a new framework, which is in the pattern of the cross, Mm -hmm. Christ, and is self-sacrificial. Yeah, so today, the question I ask myself today, and that I should ask myself every day, is, Lord, am I going to live for me today, or am I going to live for you today? And if I'm going to live for you today, what should that look like? Well, it should look like a cross. We talk about the role that vulnerability plays in living out a cruciform life. One of the things that I like to to think about is that 
I grew up um, just sort of assuming maybe something prevalent in our culture, which is that you can have the resurrection power uh, promised in the New Testament without any type of crucifixion. But by, like, definition, resurrection has something to do with death. Right. There's just sort of an assumption of, like, I can get all the benefit of the resurrection Mm -hmm. power of God uh, without being a part of that sacrificial nature. And so— we then t- tend to just become people who are full of all the comfort and and temptations of our world and not leaning into uh, the pattern and framework of like Jesus and and his what his disciples look like and so when Jesus steps into vulnerability what the cross does is it also comes with a promise of this is going to be the space where resurrection power is poured out in your mm-hmm. life we're afraid to do that because it's scary to think how how is it going to look or feel if I put myself at the feet of somebody in humility and say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's in those places where God promises to meet us with resurrection power. Well, yeah, because that feels scary. You know, we feel fragile in that moment and we feel so vulnerable in that moment. And the reason it's scary and the reason we feel vulnerable is maybe because we haven't fully grabbed on to how much God loves us. Like the more you press into relationship with the Lord in the secret place and you know that you're loved and you know that you're valued and you know that you're safe, even if it means that people don't like you, even if it means that people kill you, do you know what I mean? Like that's the place, that's the secret sauce for being able, sauce, I said that like I was from from Boston. (laughs) That's the secret sauce for... Yeah, you know, living the a life of humility, cruciform life. I think. Yeah, and I hear that, and I also hear Paul's words saying, "When I am weak, then I am strong." Yeah, and you know, Paul had to learn that, and I've had to learn that in my life. As you know, in college, I started realizing I've got depression in my life, and it's been a, a lifelong journey for me. And I've got some wounds of shame in my life that go back to when I was a kid, and these things are are not things you in American culture really want to put up there as on my resume. Mm-hmm. But these are the things that have humbled me, made me dependent on God and have actually uh, caused God's power to be present in my life because he's given me the grace to be able to say, Hey, I struggle with depression or I've got wounds of shame. And Jesus is lifted up in that. I think that's a real practical way for me living out the cross-shaped life. Even Rodney Stark talks about symbols and the fish was the first symbol because uh, it took them a while to get to the cross. But once they eventually got to the cross, it became the one of the symbols that has completely changed the world to identify with Jesus. But it's hard to get there sometimes because it requires vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's upside down. It's not the way that, you know, we're wired But Jesus is changing you. He's changing me as we just surrender to him again today. Jesus, just live your life through me. Dan, why is the American culture, and I think you you are on the page that it is, why is the American culture so ready and so needing the message of the cross-shaped life? It's hard to uh, speak in broad terms about America, like in general and secular culture. I know that there's a lot of values and stuff that it's hard to um, disentangle from. 
But even in terms of Christian American culture, so the big Christian nation here, um, there are things that just sometimes don't look like the cross. Um, and so when I was reading the letters to Corinth, first and second Corinthians, they did a big project on this to just sort of compare the things that Corinth struggles with, with the things that American Christians often mm-hmm. struggles with is almost a one-to-one comparison on a, like, you know, on a regular reading of it. You have people that are highlighted at, as like church leaders, right? Well, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, or I follow mm-hmm. Perry or, or Shauna, or whatever, you know what I mean? We all have these, um, these uh, tribes that we form over leaders um, all the way down to the gifts that they're obsessed with, you know, the spirituality, the big show of things. Right. And so in that context, this is where Paul specifically said, when I was among you, I didn't play the game with any of this stuff. I had one message. I preached Christ crucified. Mm -hmm. I stuck to that message. There's something about that in that context. That was a direct hit for what they needed to hear. And so that's why I like to interact with this in our context is because I kind of, once you see it, it's hard to unsee. Mm. Yeah. It's pride. The cross speaks to my pride and it, it humbles me and it should humble me and cause me to, to, to see my need for a savior. But then once I receive the savior, keep on receiving him. And then the pride of it's all about me should also be, you know, pierced as well. Mm. I should be changing mm. into a, a more humble servant. As an American Christian, what part of living the cruciform life has been like, is God working on in your heart right now? Mm. Well, I think that there have been seasons where I too have been um, infatuated with the big show of things. It's got to be bigger. It's got to be better. It's got to be a show of like strength and power. And in Corinth, when we, when we were Paul talking about power, he says, my, my God said to him, my power is made perfect in weakness. It's not going to be through the same metrics that you kind of are just sort of fluent in, in our culture where it's like, if it's, if it's healthy, it looks like this. If it's good, it looks like this. It's gotta be prosperous or whatever. And so shedding some of that for me has been a long process of trying to figure that out. And so Dan, Dan, Mike teaching pastor at Crossroads Bible church. So an example of this, I think is I, I wrote a song called pure in heart and it's a bit of a, well, it's, it's more than a bit of it, but it's a critique on, American Christian mm. culture, you know, and it's, you know, and I'm, I'm the one who needs this message preached to me, you know, pursue fame, wealth, power, you know, that, that can be part of Christian culture. So this song pure in heart is about, you know, one of the lyrics says Jesus measured his success by his death on the cross. That's, that's counter American. Yeah. That is completely counter American. So there's this, this person, in Nashville and I was going to, you know, do some promoting of the song, which is kind of ironic, you know, <laughs> it's a song about servanthood. Yeah. I'm going to promote it. But at any rate, she just really pushed back on it because she was going to be sending this, this promotional stuff to Christian media. And this, this may come back to bite you. You know, you you might be taken as somebody who's down on people who are in the Christian music industry and you're, you know, you're judging them. And, and so there was a pushback 
because Christian culture doesn't want to hear that message of take up the cross. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and it's why Paul in Corinthians even says, I, I don't want to brag right now. It's so, It seems so foolish for me to do this, but if I brag, I'll brag about the sufferings that I participated in. So I would even go farther than your line, which I love, is he measured his success by his suffering, but I think your faith is also measured by how much you resemble that suffering as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, mic drop there. Yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. So can we get down to the real nitty gritty as far as like getting practical? Can you paint for me a picture? You know, help me to understand how to live it out. One of the things, and there are many things that this this applies to everything, but one of the things that I think uh, we could all use a dose of is how to figure out how to bring the cross into confrontation. Okay. We live in just a time where there's just a lot of, um, it's like the wild west when it comes to when you're in a confrontation, you know, I mean, I, I grew up being a, just a good person at arguing like, hmm. and it's just, when you argue, it it's, feels like you're just trying to survive and you want to conquer this other person. And you think of all the things that you're going to say to come into this argument that's going to win and defeat, you know, and those metrics are things that are inconsistent with the cross. Mm-hmm. It is a place where a vulnerability, where almost defeat in a way, where you let the other person uh, win. So if you brought the dynamic of cruciformity into a confrontation, it could look like saying to the other person, I'll let you speak. I want to listen to you. I want to say, you have something to say. Help me understand what you're saying. And in those places, you start to see the spirit of God really start to churn and move. When I used to work at a coffee shop, one of the things that people would do in confrontation is decaf people. <laughs> I know you're probably thinking this is crazy. If you're a, a customer that's being antagonistic, this is this was a, a very common feature of this place uh, to punish them. But I would never do this because I was committed to being a person that would show forgiveness and grace. Sure. Okay, mm-hmm. so just for clarity's sake, when you say... The people, the baristas, the baristas would sorry. decaf customers. What you're saying is they'd come in and want and like want a triple shot, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, decaf friend, deal with that. If Is that kind of how it, it went down? It, 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 not just someone who wanted it. It would be somebody who was being rude, obnoxious, gotcha. hurtful in certain ways. This would be a way of kind of fighting back. Okay. And over the course of time, people started to really wonder, why is it so easy for me not to do that? Why is it just so, to me, an obvious choice to not fight back? And we started to get into conversations about how the cross is leading me into a place of promoting that that sin has been forgiven. I have to confirm that. I am loyal Mm -hmm. to that message. They don't have to pay for it. Right. I don't have to put them on the cross and punish them. It's been paid for. Mm -hmm. And everybody that was working with me at the time ended up in some way or another coming to church with me and starting to feel like there is mm. something there that uh, that was intriguing and enigmatic um, that they wanted more of. Mm. I definitely saw the chosen logo of the fish turning and going the other direction when you told that story, oh, yeah. you know, because it's so countercultural. <laughs> like everybody there at the coffee shop's going, this is how we get them. You know, this manipulative kind of, uh, you know. Oh, passive aggressive, <laughs> give them decaf when they really, really want their caffeine and they're hangry and all the things. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a very, I'm a competitive person and I'm kind of wired that way. And, you know, nature, nurture, 
nature, I was wired that way. Nurture is, I was raised to be competitive. And, you know, that just, it just isn't always a very good thing. Many times, (laughs) not a good thing, you know, so many times playing basketball, I had to apologize because of how I acted on the court. Now, at least I apologize, but it was a place that really showed me the pride that was in my heart. But, you know, the question I have is how, how do we get our hearts to change? You know, how do we, how do our, my, how does my heart become like Jesus heart who is willing to, to give everything up and let everything go and let, you know, the powers be win, you know, and gain victory through defeat. How do I get this prideful, selfish? Yeah. It's all about me. You know, you live for me, Dan. <laughs> yeah. How do I get that heart to change? We become, we become people who look like what we worship, that we become what we worship. You know, it's like you are what you eat. And what if you worship success, if you worship winning, if you worship that validation, you're going to become that person and it's going to come out when you're playing sports with other people. But if you worship the crucified Christ who says, this is like our biggest value and you are surrendering to that and praying about that and setting your eyes, fixing it upon that, preaching that, it's going to start to come out in your life. You're going to say, this is worth it to me. Like, this is something that I can do. I, I am happy to be a person that um, in sports is a person that shows grace and mercy while being a good competitor at the mm-hmm. same time. It's mm-hmm. possible, Barry. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, you know, kind of figuring out what this looks like in me and for me. And I've wrestled with feeling insecure about who I am my entire life and hearing messages of you ought to just be quiet. You don't matter this sort of thing. And, and that has, um, that means that in a lot of situations I lead with, I hope they like me. I hope he likes me. I hope, I hope I'm likable. I hope, you know what I mean? I hope this is well received, which is a very, it, which is not cross deformity living at all. Cross, you know, a cross form life would be, I want you to know that you matter. I want you to know that you're loved. Not, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I heard somebody use the definition of the word humility. I really, really love this being a right rendering of who you are. It's not like um, whether if you think you're amazing or if you think you're lousy and slime, they're both self-focused, yeah. <laughs> you know, where humility is just, I don't have to think about whether I'm amazing or whether, I, whether I'm a slime. I don't have to think about myself at all because I'm thinking about the person in front of me. I'm thinking about how Jesus loves them and how Jesus sees them. And so anyway, there's just a lot of work I think for all of us to do when it comes to living out uh, a cruciform shaped life. Mm-hmm. And it's going to look different for every single one of us. Yeah, what comes to me right now is that, you know, Jesus knew he was just adored. He knew he was adored by his father and he had had that love from his father. And so he could, he could give everything away. And I think that, I don't know, Dan, is this, is this it? If I, if, if it really, if the love of, of the father for me goes deeper and deeper in my heart, and I really believe that he loves me, will that make it easier for me to live out a cruciformed, a servant kind of life? Yeah, you're you're gonna be joining the family business at that point, mm-hmm. and you're gonna be somebody that's not necessarily trying to earn their way in, but somebody who just says, "This is what we do. This is part of our family. This is part of the culture that I am a part of. I am at this table, and I view myself as a guest. 
a disciple, a person at this table, and I am welcoming other people here as well, and we're sharing this, uh, this meal and this culture of love and sacrifice. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.